Welcome to Pedagog, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Jennifer Wetham talks about the Washington State Community and Technical College System, advocacy, policy development, community organizing, and anti-racism. Jennifer Wetham is a highly collaborative and deeply relational leader with over 20 years of experience building and maintaining strong relationships across Washington State through establishing, leading, and sustaining multiple communities of practice in the Washington State Community and Technical College system, first as a faculty member teaching at multiple colleges, and then as a staff member at the Washington State Board for Community and Technical Colleges. SBCTC, led by a nine-member governor-appointed board and headquartered in Olympia, Washington, advocates, coordinates, and directs Washington State's system of 34 public community and technical colleges. As a policy associate in the National Student Success Center, Jen's primary role is to provide vision and strategic direction for policy-level faculty professional development in alignment with the SBCTC vision to lead with racial equity and create cultures of belonging for historically underserved students of color. Jen, thanks so much for joining us. You serve as a policy associate in the National Student Success Center for the Washington State Board for Community and Technical Colleges, and you focus a lot on advocacy, policy development, and community organizing. I was hoping to give you some space to to talk about this position as a policy associate and your role with the Washington State Board for Community and Technical Colleges. Thanks, and it's really lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Every, so I work at the State Board for Community and Technical Colleges, and uh, there's 34 community and technical colleges in Washington State. And the State Board has a number of different roles that we play. Uh, The number one is that the legislature allocates a certain portion to the community colleges. And so the State Board is sort of the conduit for the money, (laughs) the money channel, if you will. And then there's lots of departments and we handle different things like everything from cutting paychecks to um, looking at policy issues, policy matters. And the way that our current executive director talks about it, um, it talks about our work is there are certain things that we think are just better left up to the colleges that are better for local decisions because every college is its own unique ecosystem. It's its own unique culture of teaching and learning. It's obviously the geography of Washington state is radically different. And so, uh, there's lots of things that we just leave up to the colleges. And then there's other things where we, where we, as the state board, try to discern, like, when is it better for us to, I'll use that metaphor of community organizing, when is it better for, uh, when is it, when does it make sense for the state board to kind of bring the colleges together and do something as a collective? For me, in my role, I'm in the Student Success Center, and there are Not every state has a student success center, but some of the states have national student success centers. And so I work in the Washington Student Success Center, which is focused around equity and specifically uh, how do we how do we radically transform how higher education has approached its work to really think about. um, And and this is where I'll I'll say the state board vision, which is to lead with racial equity to create cultures of belonging for our historically underserved students. Because obviously the way that we have approached higher education in the United States has not done that. It's not designed to serve 
it's designed to serve one population. With that, I work in the Student Success Center, and uh, there are about, I think the, the most recent statistic is there's about 8,500 faculty and who teach uh, in all three mission areas, basic education for adults, academic transfer, and workforce, uh, sometimes called professional technical. So I do strategic direction for faculty professional development. In my previous role, I was in the assessment teaching and learning department. So it focused much more on that critical piece of faculty development. And now that I'm in the Student Success Center, it's focused a little bit more broadly on a major initiative here in Washington State called Guided Pathways. And essentially, that is how the state board is community organizing the colleges to just radically rethink how we do things to really rebuild our systems and structures while we are working within the old ones. So you've been organizing faculty across the Washington State Community and Technical College system to deconstruct English 101 using a community of practice model to support faculty in developing more anti-racist practices and strategies. You're currently co-leading a major initiative funded by the Washington State Legislator with the Salbianoi, the Anti-Racist Curriculum Initiative. And you just concluded a workshop called White People Working on It, Working Towards an Anti-Racist CTC System. Can you talk more about these two projects? I'll, I'll just say that when I started this job in 2013, um, it was very overwhelming. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out, you know, like, what is my job and what, because it's so big and so expansive and there's so many things that you could do. And I'll just say that, you know, because I had been English faculty, I had a lot of already pre-existing relationships and also English faculty, we love to talk to each other. Like we always are like, what are you doing in your class? And can I tell you about what I'm doing in my class? And, <laughs> and we, I think, you know, every discipline has its own unique beauty and its own kind of enculturation process that shapes you as a human, but English faculty are just, we're just the best. And we're just always wanting to like grow and change and evolve and try new things and, and just kind of be on the cutting edge. And so there were, there were a small group of English faculty who were continuously like, please, can we, can we be organized? You know, can we have, you know, regular gatherings? And this was right around the time that we were really rethinking placement rethinking uh portfolios re i mean we were just really challenging everything like do we need six levels of developmental english turns out no but that but those were like radical conversations back in the day and so and i remember jeff klassman uh who teaches at whatcom was like there you know you have to basically if you're going to reform placement you have to be a placement expert if you're going to reform your portfolio assessment, that's kind of a gatekeeper and not a gateway, you have to really, I mean, it's a lot to know about that. And so again, like, how do you curate knowledge? How do you, how do you spread that knowledge? How do you, how do you learn from each other? Um, and so, so anyway, so I, I've worked really closely with Jeff and a lot of other faculty to start thinking about, you know, like what would it look like to gather English faculty together once a quarter, just as a start, just to do something. And that we, we were very careful about collecting evidence from folks, you know, so we would do our best to design an agenda that we thought would resonate with people's hearts and minds and practices and really cultivate that wisdom sharing um, 
and we we actually had a number of communities of practice, like one around directed self-placement. <laughs> but the but the decomposing English model one really took hold. And so we would collect evidence from everybody. Um, and it just turned out that what people really wanted to do as a collective was focus on equity. And we had, and Jeff had been using a SOWS scholarship to rethink their placement assessment. And it, and we did a couple of events where we were sort of uh, doing kind of like these topical introductions to a SOWS work, but it's very deep, it's deep, deep work. And so um, we were able to successfully get some grant funding from College Park, Washington to fund a pilot. And then the legislature noticed and paid attention. And so our executive director asked for some legislative money. And so what I really want to say here is that this is the first policy level faculty professional development initiative that has ever been funded by the legislature. Like when I started, I remember just dreaming, like, like, what would it be like to have the legislature, the Washington state legislature actually invest in its faculty to really do something together as a collective and as a whole. And so right now, um, based on the lessons learned from our pilot, which was a bumpy ride, um, <laughs> we made a lot of mistakes. We learned a lot of things. There were a lot of successes. Uh, we now have 72 faculty participating. It's spanning six quarters. And the faculty are currently working through uh, ecology mapping. So they're mapping their current assessment ecology in their classrooms. And they're going to pose what ASAO calls anti-racist problems. And then they're going to implement labor-based grading as a way to shift their assessment ecology. So it's not like we're not doing labor-based grading for the sake of labor-based grading. And if it's okay, I just wanna say this one thing, like one of the biggest lessons I've learned from ASAO is that, and I've been guilty of this, right? Like as English faculty, like, and I don't know when you were trained, but I'm, I'm a woman of a certain age. And uh, I was trained at like kind of around the turn of the century. And it was when portfolio assessment was really big. And we were all like portfolio assessment. It's a good thing. Just do it. Like, and there, and again, there was lots of um, pedagogy and scholarship around how to do it, but we still sort of just, we were like, let's just implement that. And then that'll, that'll be the magic wand. That'll fix everything. And so one of the things that I've learned from Asao is rather than just attaching to things as a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> that you really first map your ecology, pose a specific problem, and then make the change. It's a very different way of going about things. And so that's what we're really, so I think really at the end of the day, what I really want is 72 faculty who know how to map an ecology using the seven elements and who then know, like, like they might choose to change the ecology doing something else, right? Like they might even go back to portfolio grading. I don't know. Um, but, but, to, but to sort of retrain us as a discipline to not just kind of seize the next thing. Like, and I was totally guilty of this with DSP, right? When Compass went away and we were like, it can't be AccuPlacer. We can't just replace it with another standardized test. Um, I was like, DSP, DSP, it's a good thing. And, and I wish I knew then what I know now. So that's the anti-racist curriculum initiative. I'm also part of a group of white folks who were asked by, we have a longstanding group of faculty and staff of color who have been community organizing for the last 30 years. And it's a specifically safe space for people of color to gather to be away from the pervasive 
toxic, stultifying whiteness that it saturates higher education, not just in Washington state, but across the nation. And, and um, you know, when we started putting this focus on equity, a lot of white folks started wanting to attend this faculty and staff of color conference. And again, that sort of changed the mission, it changed the scope of the conference. And so they asked us if we would do an event for specifically for white people to learn about why those spaces are really important for people of color and why it's not appropriate to have white people in those spaces. And that, and again, that, that white people have a lot of work to do before they're ready to partner with folks of color to dismantle systemic racism. And so we just finished up a one and a half day event around that. But I'll just say that uh, it's, it's an exciting time to be in higher education. Given your expertise and experience, what are some of the biggest challenges and some of the biggest joys to being a policy associate for the Washington State Community and Technical College System? Okay, there's so many. I'll just say that right now, I think the biggest thing for me is, I think it's really important to honor people for their labor. Anti-racist labor is emotional, it's taxing, like any sort of major curriculum reform is already really exhausting. And faculty are, we're all just so tired, like, and I don't need to tell any educator <laughs> that we are all tired and we're working in a system that ha- that's been broken for a long time. And we're, anyway, I'll stop the tangent and I'll go back to the topic, which is, <laughs> it's very important to me to honor people with funding. And and, and honestly, like the way that you get people to make space for this kind of work is to compensate them. I don't know any other way right now, the way that conditions are to, to ask people to do this kind of labor for free. So I was so excited to get this money from the legislature because I could finally pay people to do this labor. Shane, honestly, the hardest part is moving the money around. Like at one point I was like, I was ready to tear my hair out because I was like, if we were going to pay the faculty a thousand dollars a quarter, by the time we like, I'll just say it's almost like money laundering. Like by the time it's gone through all the channels, it, I was like, the faculty would get $250 of a thousand dollars. And I was like, this cannot happen. <laughs> so I think for me, like working in a bureaucracy that wasn't made for this kind of work, it's not nimble. That to me is one of the biggest challenges is how do you get creative within these structures to make sure that you're really being in integrity with the work. The ahas, the lights that go out, the lights that go on and that some of the lights that go out, some of the lights that go on, I'm thinking it out of people's brains and like all these neurons firing. I'll, I'll just say we had a large group convening in uh, like earlier in April and we asked the faculty to map a sample of assessment ecology And I remember having this similar breakthrough when Asao did a similar activity with us where, again, trained at the turn of the century, doing the best I could, read all the scholarship, read all that, did everything my graduate professors told me to do to be a good teacher, you know, implemented portfolio-based grading so I was a good teacher. And it always felt like something was broken. It always felt like something was wrong. And I never really could quite figure out like, why weren't my assignments working? Why wasn't my feedback working? Why, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there was this like, aha, after we did one of the activities with the sour, I was like, I never knew it was white supremacy. What? Like, like, and, and again, it's the way that white supremacy permeates an ecology. And so we had a lot of faculty kind of come to that conclusion on their own. 
And you should have like, so we had 85 minutes in a breakout room. Everybody's ecology mapping collaboratively. They're having these powerful conversations and they came back to the large group breakout room and everyone was just like, it was like popcorn popping. Like people were just like, oh my gosh, and, and this thing and this thing and another thing. And, and it just led to this really deep and profound conversation about just the, uh, the way that Asao talks about it, you know, it's just like, like you, you implement labor-based grading to take grades out of the ecology and just how problematic grades are. And I think it's something where every teacher knows A stands for arbitrary. And we do so much like talking about like what grades mean and we have rubrics and stuff like that. And it's, it's, a, it's a problem caused by white supremacy and we're not gonna solve it with white supremacist methods. We have to like completely transcend the system while we're working within it. And it's those moments where you just see a whole bunch of people having an aha together and you, and you think about this is how the world is gonna change. Jen, this is my last question. I want to ask you to reflect just a bit. So you're a, a former community college faculty member. And I think sometimes when we're in the classroom, we don't necessarily see all the things affecting our local ecologies. I want to ask this question, thinking about two-year colleges specifically, since that's what our conversation has been about. Is there something you see now? given your position as, as a policy associate that you didn't necessarily notice as much as a teacher, something that you can point to and say, hey, you know what, that was impacting my teaching and students, but I didn't necessarily know it until now. One of the biggest things that I see now that I didn't see when I was a faculty member is how afraid everyone is of criticism and how deeply the whole academic enterprise is founded on criticism and founded on deficit and founded on, uh, as Asao puts it, like there's one standard that we've arbitrarily decided is the standard that we all have to meet. And at the end of the day, I don't think anybody really wants to uphold that. Like even the people who might think that they want to uphold it don't really want to uphold it. And so I think, um, one of the biggest things is just becoming aware of that deficit framework and that deficit narrative and, and seeing how pervasive it is and, and, and sort of resisting it, you know, and challenging it. And, you know, and, and again, um, I'm trying to think of a concrete example with this, but this is one of the things that I love about anti-racist work is it's totally around individual and communal capacity. And that we've used this narrative of deficit to subordinate people and keep them down. And, and that there's a real invitation right now in a way that it's never been offered before. And, and, and coming alive to that and becoming awake to it, I think is a very powerful and beautiful thing. Thanks, Jen. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.